Welcome to TheOpenWord.org, featuring the teaching ministries of Alan Schaefer. Currently, Alan is serving as an adjunct professor of theology at Moody Bible Institute, as well as leading almost weekly classes with his local church. With over 3,000 hours of recording since 1988, TheOpenWord.org contains theological studies, biblical surveys, homemade videos, and even small glimpses into Alan's personal life. We invite you to a source for verse-by-verse exposition of nearly the entire Holy Bible at TheOpenWord.org. Thank you. Welcome to the 11th session in the Gospel of John. Today's session, Christ and the disciples are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way, Christ is giving them the promise of the Holy Spirit and also telling them of the things that are to come and encouraging them not to lose heart or to worry about what lies ahead because everything is part of God's eternal plan. So join us as we begin today's study. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Father, thank you for this night and thank you for being here with us. Open our hearts, open this word to us. So we may understand it. Thank you for this opportunity to study. In Christ's name, amen. John 15 is where we're at tonight. We have three more classes after tonight. Um, we're not going to meet, by the way, we're not going to meet next week, so that was a typo in the notes. So um, we'll meet the 29th and then the next two weeks after that. Um, John 15, I am the true vine. By the way, um, where, when is Christ talking? Where, where is Christ and the disciples when he's giving them this information? Where are they? They're on their way to Gethsemane, right? So they have, they've left the upper room now. And uh, it says that in the last verse there of chapter 14. Let us go from here. So the supper's done. The last supper's done. So they're on their way now to Gethsemane and really to the cross. Um, it's only going to be a matter of hours before Christ is, erect, is arrested. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, with it, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Um, Christ is using a very interesting metaphor here, and I'm sure all of us have heard this passage preached on many times as we were growing up. The vine and the branches. And... Uh, Really, there's a couple of major ways to interpret this particular passage. How many how many people have heard it preached that this is talking about believers abiding in Christ? Okay. Has anybody heard that this is a contrast between believers and unbelievers? Okay. Well, that's one of the major interpretive questions. Who's Christ talking about? Is Christ uh, talking about believers? 
in general, I think the branches are supposed to be the followers, but then the fruitful ones are the true believers. Yeah, you got it. I mean, you jumped to the end of the discussion, but yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's the way to interpret it. All right. And, and, and understand that. And, and why, why would we, huh? <laughs> Even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, you know, I mean, <laughs> not to, no, seriously. Um, why, why would you think that that would be, that would be the best interpretation just given the context of the book so far? Because you have a lot of people that are following Christ and that are seeking after him, but not many are sticking with him. Right. It's hard, difficult teaching and, and these uh, conflicts with the, with the Pharisees and the leaders. Now, now this, is, this is a very important question to, to answer, at least in your own mind. Because if you, as, as some would say, well, what, what John is talking about in his book, when he when he talks about, you know, the disciples that walk with him no more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the vine and the branches. It, well, he's talking about two kinds of Christians. You know, there are those Christians that abide and remain um, and are disciples. And then there are those Christians that are saved, but, you know, they never get around to obeying Christ. They never get around to to really catching on. Um, they're saved. They won't go to hell. You know, they're they got eternal life, but they're just fruitless. They're just not what they ought to be. Um, and there's a large segment of Christianity, of, of evangelicalism, that sort of holds to that concept, the concept of what we might call the carnal Christian. Um, I had a friend of mine who's going to Dallas Theological Seminary call me up, and he said, they're having me read heresy down here. I said, what are you reading? He said, uh, He That Is Spiritual by Lewis Berry Schaefer, and basically Schaefer, C-H-A-F-E-R, the one who founded Dallas Theological Seminary, really really was behind this whole carnal Christian, spiritual Christian dichotomy. Um, trying to make out there to be really three classes of people. you got your unbelievers, you got your carnal Christians, and then you got your spiritual Christians. And so what you see Christ doing in, the, in, the, in his ministry is that he's separating out really the carnal Christians from the true Christians. And so Christ's call to discipleship is a call to true believers to actually come follow him, to take a second step of commitment and to become a real disciple. Um, and a lot of them, when, it, when, you, when you hit that, that interpretation, it's going to shift really your understanding of a lot of the gospel, gospels and a lot of the New Testament. Or, and I think this is the best way to understand it, what is Christ doing? He's talking about believers and unbelievers. Who are the true disciples? Who are the true believers? They're the ones who follow. They're the ones who stay. Who are the ones that are truly born again? The ones who keep his commandments. Who it is, and, and, and here's another thing. I think this is even solidified further. This interpretation is even made stronger when you go to 1 John, because in 1 John, what is John doing? John says, look, if you, love your, if you love your brother, the love of God abides in you. If you hate your brother, you're a liar. Right. The love of God is not in you. If you keep his commandments, you're in. If you don't, you're out. If you walk in the light, you're in. If you don't walk in the light, you're not a believer. 
the contrast in John, First John, is not between carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. It's between unbelievers and believers. How do you know a true believer? He abides in Christ. How do you know a true believer? He obeys his commandments. How do you know a true believer? The true believer is one who loves God and loves his brother. And if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. You're not a true believer. The contrast is between true and false. And so what I think when, when, when Christ comes here and he's talking about the vine and the branches, he is just hitting this concept again. How is it, and this is the question that's being answered, how is it that you, as a Christian, bear fruit? How do you do that? Because that's God's desire. That's the Father's desire that you be fruitful. All right. And so the question then is to ask is, you know, going back to your um, hermeneutics and that, if you're to bear fruit, what would you want to know? Well, how to, but what else? What is fruit? You know, what is fruit? Um, when we talk about bearing fruit, what is that? So what is fruit? So I'm going to say, what is fruit? What, what would you? How would you tell? How would you respond? For an apple tree, is that? <laughs> yeah. For a Christian, what's fruit? Fruits of the spirit. Well, you got the fruit of the spirit, right? So we got Galatians, right? Five, which talks about the fruit of the spirit, which are what? So they're godly attitudes, godly characteristics. All right. So you got the fruit of the spirit. Which is the you know the 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 spiritual attitudes and actions. What else is fruit? Creating more disciples. Yeah, evangelism, right? Um, Proverbs. I used to know this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs eleven thirty, I think it is. See if that's right. I'm quoting that from memory. That's getting more leaky as the years go on. Um, but uh, it's um, converts is is fruit. Is there anything else that's fruit? Is it right? Okay, good. City makers are solid. Christ wants us to bear fruit. It's um, godly. Huh? It could be all kinds. The, the point is fruit is a lot of things. Fruit is godly character, godly attitudes, um, converts, spiritual growth, okay, maturity, right? All of that is fruit. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to bear fruit, okay? And, and when you look at the parable of the Tares, not the parable of tares, the parable of the sower. Remember? In um, Matthew chapter 13. What is the mark of the true believer? Actually, he bears fruit, right? It's not the one that springs up, right? It's not the one that grows into thistles and springs up and then gets choked. It's not that which falls on the hard soil. Rather, it is that which brings forth 
fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And Christ is here saying, here's how you bear fruit. Now, this, this is this is a life altering concept. If you get this down, it will change your life. Because pretend we didn't have this passage. And I were to say the Bible says that you are to bear fruit for Christ. How do you go about doing that? What would you think would be some of your answers? Work. You give effort, right? You, you, you know, you roll up the sleeves and you have at it, right? Discipline. Personal discipline. Um, prayer. Slogging it out, right? Working at it. Putting forth effort, okay? Putting forth your energy and your effort to bear fruit. But what is Christ's answer to that in this passage? Allow his spirit to be the guide of your life. I would break it down in simplest terms that I would explain what I think it is. I think it's me putting my life into God's hands, mm -hmm. knowing that I can't do for myself those things I need to do. In my own strength, I always make the wrong choices, always fall short of the ability to live that life. It's only when I trust in Him, allowing Him to do it for me, in me, that I'm able to do it. I'm going to write this down because this is the important thing to understand. Fruit is a byproduct and a result of abiding in Christ. That's all it is. It's not something you work up on your own. Um... It's not something that you necessarily expend direct effort at producing. It's a byproduct. And that's why the metaphor of the vine is so important. Okay? What is the vine? The vine is the source of nutrition, right? It's that which has roots. All right? It's what takes the water and the nutrients from the soil and transmits them to the branches. How do the branches bear fruit? They have to stay connected to the vine. The branch can't bear fruit in and of itself. You can't lop a branch off of a tree and it sprout leaves. It needs to abide in the tree. The grape vine needs to, the, the branch of the grapes need to be bound to the vine or you get no grapes. And so what you see here is Christ basically saying, Christ saying, if you want to bear fruit, the way you do that is not to try and do it on your own. Rather, it is to make sure that you abide in me. That's, that's, that's the point here. Because when I was growing up, you know, depending on what church tradition you're from, you know, you're on this guilt trip constantly about you need to be out witnessing every day. You need to be out knocking on doors. You need to be doing, you know, and you, you make this, you make Christianity. 
into something you have to do. Now, according to this passage, what happens when you try to do that on your own? You can do nothing. It says you can't do a little. It says you can do nothing unless you abide in the vine. You want to bear fruit? Abide in the vine. In your own terms, you kind of bully and persuade people to think or to agree with you, but not to really have any meaningful conversion. One of the things, um, th this abiding concept here is, is it's just so critically important to really get. Um, we're going through, in, at Moen, we're going through second or first Timothy. And at the end of first Timothy four, Paul tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. One of the things I th a lot of times we do when we get into Christian ministry is we get so busy ministering. We don't spend time with the vine. And Christ is saying here, you want to have an effective ministry. That effective ministry is directly proportional to how much time you spend in the vine. Not how much time you're doing your thing. And if your time in the vine is falling short, your effectiveness in the ministry will be diminished. And a lot of pastors flame out, flame out and burn up on reentry because they are so busy supposedly doing this and that and this ministry and that ministry and all the things in the ministry that they don't spend time with the vine. Christ is saying, I am the true vine. I'm not a vine. I am the vine. The true one. That goes back to I am the way, the truth, and the life. My father is the vine dresser. What did the vine dresser do? Yeah, and see, we, we don't we don't relate to that because none of us in here, I don't think, grow grapes. As a, you do. All right. Huh? Yeah. I had relatives that were involved in that. Used to keep barrels in basement years ago. Yeah. Back in the prohibition. Yeah. Um, yeah. These, but but. But in those days, you know, for, for you to have a, a good vineyard, you had to be out there every day and you're looking over the grapes, you're looking over the vines. You look at a well-pruned vineyard. It's yeah. A big stalk and then, you know, the, the branches coming off. Yeah. Trimmed all like half the death. Yeah. But it brings forth fruit. Like an apple tree. Yeah. And that's what Christ is saying here. My father... Is the vine dresser? What does the vine dresser do? He's inspecting the vine and inspecting the branches and pruning them. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he what? Takes away. Now later on, those branches that are taken away get what? Okay, now it doesn't take a five beta cap to figure out what he's talking about there, right? Burn, hell. 
like a fire. Okay. Just like the wheat. I mean, the, 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 the imagery, if you get on the understanding that what Christ and in, in, in the gospels and what the gospel writers are talking about are not carnal Christians versus spiritual Christians, but unbelievers versus believers, it all straightens out. It all makes sense. The, the parable of the tares. What happens to the tares? They get burned. When the dragnet comes in, the good fish are gathered into vessels and the bad fish are what? Thrown out. All right. The, the, the pictures are consistent throughout the New Testament. Christ is saying, if you are, if you supposedly, now, what does it mean there? Every branch does not bear fruit. He takes away. There are some branches that are like sucker branches. They look like they're part of the vine, but they're not part of the vine. And what do you do to them? You cut them off. All right. And he's saying a, a branch in me that does not bear fruit signifies that it is not connected to what? The vine. And it's taken away and burned. That's what it says. He takes away. He takes it away. It's not cut off. It's taken away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes and it might bear more fruit. And, and part of the work of the Holy Spirit, of course, in our lives as we mature and grow in the faith is what does he do? He prunes things. Yeah. And sometimes that's a little painful, isn't it? And he has to do some cutting, some pruning. But why does he prune? Bear more fruit, right? The whole point here is to bear fruit. And here's here's the thing. In this whole metaphor, what part does the branch have in bearing fruit? Very little, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. The the amount of fruit that is born is is a is a measure not of the vine of the of the branch, but of its connectedness to the vine, which is really I think the one thing it does control in, in the metaphor, and the pruning of the father. But you don't decide how much fruit you're gonna bear. And you don't worry about how much fruit you're gonna bear. You worry about abiding in the vine. And when you abide in the vine, God will use you to bear fruit. You are already clean because of the words that I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's this abide concept. And, and John, I mean, this, this is throughout the Gospel of John. It's throughout 1 John, right? Abide in the light. Walk in the light. What does it mean to abide? To live. It's not come for a visit. It's a continual place of residence. And Christ is saying, you need, you're clean because of the words I've spoken unto you, but you need to abide in me and I in you. Now, how do you abide in Christ and he in you? Well, he tells us. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. 
So how do you abide in Christ? Well, one way to abide in Christ is to let his words abide in you. So what words are those? Well, what did he tell us? And when you put this passage together with 1 John, you find that the way you abide in Christ is that you let God's word abide in you. And the more of God's word that abides in you, the better you are at abiding in Christ. And not only does the word of God need to abide in you, but what else do you need to do? Obey his commandments. And you need to love him. It, it all goes together. And that's that's the hard thing about 1 John. 1 John basically says, if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. If you keep his commandments, you're going to abide in him. If you abide in him, you're going to love him. If you love him, you're going to keep his commandments. If you keep his commandments, you're going to love him. It's all, <laughs> he keeps going back in the same thing over and over and over again. Doesn't it say too that his word that would not return him void and that it would accomplish that which is... Isaiah 55. But the way, the way, when you read this, what, what Christ is saying, for you to really bear fruit, abide in me. Don't worry about the fruit you're bearing. Don't fret about how much fruit you're bearing. Abide in me. <coughs> I've been sneezing all day long. Both. And that's what fruit is. Fruit is is godly conduct, godly attitudes, godly character, um, the souls that you win. All of that is fruit. No, it's both. It's not just one side. It's not just souls. Fruit is not just souls. Fruit is, of course, souls, right? There's a component where, like Proverbs 11, 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that one of souls is wise. So there is a sense in which, yeah, fruit is souls, but fruit is also godly character. Your lifestyle, your attitudes, that's fruit as well. It's not just souls, okay? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And quite honestly, it's a little bit harder to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit than it is to win souls almost, to some extent. It's tough to, to live a godly, consistent life. That's a tough thing to do. But how do you do it? Well, you abide in the vine. And a lot of people say, I'm not bearing fruit, I'm not bearing fruit, what do I do? Abide in the vine. You know, cultivate a deep, personal, vibrant relationship with Christ and the fruit will come. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that that sentence that you have up there is, is one that I think relieves a certain amount of stress by fruit being a byproduct. The result of abiding in Christ, so you don't have to look at that so much as that will be an outflowing of your relationship. Because if you try to work up fruit on your own, 
Christ is saying here, you can't do it. You can't do it. You're going to be frustrated. Because you, you can't, you can't. <laughs> it, it's something that only he can produce in you. You can't go and say, I, I, I've decided for the rest of my life I'm going to be a patient, kind, loving person. That lasts <laughs> not very long. Yeah, you say it. <laughs> yeah, it lasts, because you can't do it on your own. You can't. Only Christ can bring that. Only the Holy Spirit can produce that. And Christ is saying, you need to abide in me. Because just like a branch, if a branch is not abiding in the vine, it cannot bear fruit. It's going to wither up and die. It can't bear fruit. And neither can you unless you abide in me. And that's why it's so important, you know, in Timothy, when Paul tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. That's, that's uh, the last verse of 1 Timothy 4. I don't know the number of the verse. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Because when I look around the evangelical church today, you see these guys that fall off into sin. And, and, and you know, Haggard, Ted Haggard, what's the one? Ted Haggard down there, the... You know, and um, what happened to Ted Haggard? Let's assume he's a true believer. What happened to him? What happened somewhere along the way? Quit abiding. Quit abiding. The vibrancy was gone. The fruit was gone. He thought maybe he could do it on his own. You know, he's a big shot, head of a big church. And, you know, and, and, and pride will kill you. You know, later on, you know, we're going to find out about Peter, right? They won't, I'll, they'll all go, but I'll, I'll stick around. No, you won't. No, you won't. You have to abide in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Here's, here's the meaning of it. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And the Greek word for nothing means nothing. It's not that you can't do a little. You can do nothing. And that's why it's so important as a Christian that you put a primary focus on your relationship with God. What is your relationship with Christ? I have a I have a few tapes I call my spiritual tune-up kit. A few messages. And every once in a while I pull them out. And uh, one of them is evaluating your relationship with Christ. John MacArthur preached it many years ago. And basically the the point of the message, the entire message is if you have a vibrant relationship with Christ, that is going to affect every component of your life. And when you look around Christianity and you see people falling morally or people into sin and things like that, if you have a vibrant relationship with Christ, you're not going to do that. If you love Christ, you're not going to cheat.
and lie and steal. And when you see somebody doing that, somewhere along the line, they've lost their first love. That, that was a great warning to Ephesus, right? You've lost your first love. Rome, or Revelation chapter 2. And when you lose your first love, after a while, it's, you know, it's old hat and the thrill is gone and the relationship is gone. And people who fall into sin usually fall in after a long time of <coughs> not abiding in Christ. Abide in me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Now, what does this tell you? It tells you that every Christian, every true believer will do what? Yeah. And again, you got to realize, you got to look at it from both of those perspectives. Everyone who is a true believer will bear some fruit. Someone said it might be a shriveled up grape, but it's something. And you show me someone who bears absolutely no fruit. What does that tell you about that person? They're not abiding and they're not a believer. Don't kid yourself. And that's where, that's where, like, from your tradition, your old tradition, where they got balled up, I think, theologically, is that they, they allowed for this, um, you know, someone to be a true believer and then fall away and not bear fruit and therefore they lose their salvation because they're not bearing fruit. I think the New Testament says they never had it. I mean, look at the look at the parable of the sowers. You know, that 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 seed that sprung up was it true believer? Well, no, it sprung up, and when the heat came up and it got hot out, it just withered and died. And that that went among the thorns. What happened? It it got choked out by the cares of this world. What soil produced good fruit? It's the good soil that produced good fruit, and 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 that that had fruit on it, and that was the measure. Of those who are truly born again. See what we want to do is we want to make. The, the difficulty that, that we have. Is we want to theologically separate. Salvation from sanctification. We want to separate. Put it this way. We want to separate justification from sanctification. And make them two separate things. So you can be, sanct you can be justified. But not sanctified. Are you following that? Okay. We want to separate those two things. So you can come and, and you can walk down the aisle at a Billy Graham concert or not concert, but crusade. Might as well be the same thing, concert. Or you can walk forward in a church service and you can sign a card and you can pray the sinner's prayer. You're in. You're justified. But the sanctification is a whole different deal. You may never be in some people's minds. You may never get around to getting sanctified. The Bible doesn't separate those two things. The New Testament does not separate those. Christ didn't. The apostles didn't. It's not separated. The God that saves you transforms you, makes you different. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And someone said, that's not a new page in an old book. That's a new book. 
You're transformed. And it's not you. Here's the key, though. It's not you doing the transformation. Who is it? It's God who transforms you. It's God who gives you spiritual life. It's God who gives you the ability to bear fruit. It's not you deciding to oomph it up on your own. And we cannot split justification from sanctification. There are those that want to say you can become a Christian at a moment in time and then become an atheist. But that's okay. You're going to heaven. Where's the Bible tell you that? That's no different than all those people that came to Christ when he was preaching. And when he said, okay, if you want to uh, follow me, it's uh, let the dead bury the dead. And if you don't hate father, sister, mother, brother, more than me, I want you. And they walked away. They said they, they didn't want to buy into that, and they left. You can't separate those two things. The God who saves you transforms you. He makes you different. And it's not you doing it. It's him doing it within you. Could we say this is me thinking, you know, trying to sort things out? Um, sanctification, then, that would really be the fruit of a real and true justification experience. Yeah. And sanctification connects. Maybe in, in, in a way to think about it, sanctification, sanctification connects justification with glorification. Okay? In this sense. Justification is you being declared righteous. Glorification is you receiving every promise that God has given you in eternity future. What connects those two things? Sanctification. And sanctification in the scripture has three components. One, there was a sanctification that occurred to you at the moment of salvation. When you became a believer, God sanctified you. What does it mean to sanctify? To set apart, to make holy. So there's a past component in true faith. There's a past component where you have been sanctified. All right. But while you are living, you are progressively becoming more sanctified. That's the progressive component. That's the spiritual growth component. And as we grow, as we abide in Christ, as it says here, what's going to happen? We're going to begin to bear fruit, godly attitudes, holy aspirations. We're going to see people come to know the Lord as we witness to them, as we influence them. But we're never going to reach the glorification component in this life because of our finite capacity and because of the, draw, the, the, the debilitating effect of the flesh. But someday we are going to be ultimately sanctified. What does that mean? We're going to be forever set apart from sin in heaven. We're never going to be able to commit sin. We're never going to be able to mess it up. So sanctification has a three temporal components, a past, a present, and a future. Past, you have been sanctified. Present, you are being sanctified as you grow and mature in your faith. And there's an ultimate sanctification, which is your glorification, where you'll be forever set apart from sin. But the Bible nowhere splits. This is the key to understand, to get. It nowhere splits justification from sanctification and it doesn't split sanctification from glorification. So what does that mean in terms of eternal security? Yeah. 
It's not a trick question. Yeah. You have it. You can't lose it. You can't get partway into heaven and God said, ah, you're more bothered than you're worth. I forget about it. And if you understand Romans chapter 8, verse 29, since it's been forever settled before time began, there's no way you can lose it. But the true, the New Testament teaches that those who are sanct, those who are justified, truly justified, are made different. Justification is more than a forensic declaration of righteousness in the sense that it is the starting point of being made righteous. And this is where the Catholics got it all fouled up because the Catholics see justification as a progressive thing. It's progressive. Continues after your death. Right. And the way they say that is because they they reject the concept of an of a it, it's a difference between add here and in here. See, that's a two fancy words. If something if something is adherent, what does that mean? It sticks to it. If something is inherent, what does that mean? It's a part of it. And Catholic theology teaches that the, that the righteousness you need to get into heaven is not an adherent righteousness. It is an inherent righteousness. So how do you get an inherent righteousness? Well, I see you got penance and mass and purgatory. However many years you've been bad, you're going to have to be down there. That's their concept. When the scripture teaches that what does God do at the moment of salvation? He Right, he he um, imputes righteousness to you, not an inherent righteousness, right? You're not made perfectly holy, right? But you are declared righteous before God. You're given the Holy Spirit. You're given a righteous. It's imputed to you. That's whole. That's Romans. It's an imputed righteousness. So Catholic theology is wrong. Justification is a moment in time thing, but it has continuing results. And then the fruit we're seeing in our lives is the evidence that that experience did take place. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. I just want to know, um, you're not at 1 Corinthians 3, where it speaks of the master builder and mm -hmm. how Apollos planned and mm -hmm. God gave the increase. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that fall into the same line as to bear fruit? Because sometimes it says one plants, one waters, mm -hmm. and God gives the increase. Yeah. Sometimes you may not be the person there when they make the commitment to Christ, but you've yanked the weed out along the way. But that was still the, would that still constitute yeah. fruit for you? Yeah. God God takes you know, God's perfectly fair. He knows and, and it goes all goes back to the influence. As you are a godly person, you're influencing people around you, either positively or negatively for Christ. And Christ is telling you, you want to be, you want to bear fruit. You want to bear a lot of fruit. What do you need to do? You really need to abide in me because if you really abide in me, that's where the power comes. It's not you. It's the vine. Yeah. Well, Christ is the master builder there. That's a different metaphor. But the concept is, you know, like Paul is saying, you know, Apollos went, somebody watered a Somebody planted, somebody watered, and God gave the increase. You know, all of us are part of the process. 
Thank you for listening to today's study in the Gospel of John. Part two of this class can be heard in the next podcast in this series. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.